Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you for being here. I'm alone today. Well, kind of. Hayden's not here. Hayden's soaking off the beach, probably wearing SPF 59, hopefully not driving his wife slash fiance in a U-Haul because he was too cheap to rent a car. That's a relationship situation just between them. Anyways, we still wanted to give you a show in podcast form this week. So made a few phone calls, got a few guests. This entire episode is about new quarterbacks and new offenses. In some cases, how the new quarterback dictates the changes in offense. And with others, a new head coach. And how the 2021 version will be different than last year. We'll have Jordan Rodrigue with the Rams. Phil Perry with the Patriots. Shiel Kapadia with the Eagles. And J.P. Finley with the Washington football team. We'll hit on more offenses later on in the offseason. Don't worry, we'll get to the Bears. But I thought that this concept was important because so often when we're drafting or you know placing bets on, on win totals, the only thing we think about is, is last year. But in many cases, these teams have looked at themselves in the mirror and said, we don't want to be what we were last year. So I'm trying to get ahead of that and predict all these massive changes for these clubs. Before we get there, though, While many of you wait until August or September to draft for fantasy football, I want to tell you that really best ball season starts in May. It's going on right now. And because of that, I had a conversation with Liz, had a conversation with Nick, the fine people over at Underdog. And they said, if you all skip the guacamole in terms of saving that money and you deposit it over on Underdog right now, you get a free $25. Yep. We're bringing back the promo. Skip the guac, deposit anything onto Underdog, and you get a free 25 bucks. Go spend it on Best Ball Mania 2 or, or any one-offs with your friends on private drafts. The summer of Underdog, the summer of Best Ball starts right now. All right, thank you all for the support. Let's get into today's show. Joined now by the co-host of the 11 Personnel Podcast, truly, and I mean this, one of the great writers in our football bubble. Her name is Jordan Rodrigue of The Athletic. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing better now, man. It's so good to see your face. <laughs> oh, guys, if you guys are listening, we just had like an off screen, off recording, total freak out because it's been so long since we've talked time. face-to-face. Josh is one of my favorite people on the planet, and wow. I've been following him forever. So whoever, all of you listeners and subscribers, you guys are lucky to have him because he is outstanding. Well, that's really nice of you. And uh, I, I think it's on record that you and I were the first back in <laughs> January to ever connect Christian McCaffrey to the Carolina Panthers. That was where the bond started. That, that was, was our first conversation bond. ever, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we had a lot of the same very angry emails coming into our <laughs> inboxes with, from people who we wanted, want Leonard Leonard, Fournette. wanted Leonard, Leonard Fournette, Fournette instead. And I and Josh reached out. We had a, a McCaffrey. We just talked about McCaffrey and busted a few myths on, oh. on him as a player and just had a long conversation about his fit schematically. Yeah. We both shared some of the the backlash to to I that. I think it worked out. I think it went okay. Yeah, <laughs> we we did all right. You know, tip the pick on draft night. Like things could be worse. So. Uh, well, everyone out there knows that Jordan. I and again, I, I'll mean it. It's truly one of the best beat writers and just writers in general. And obviously now she covers the Los Angeles Rams. And I feel like Jordan, their massive move of the offseason is like a little bit forgotten or necessarily didn't get like enough attention from the outside looking in because it happened months and months ago. Now, if, if we can, you know, big picture, look at it, it was going away from a quarterback that they spent the number one overall pick on that they gave a massive contract to, to then really making it the number one priority to upgrade at that spot based on the timeline of events. It was the first move they made this off season. So simple question, Jordan, what does Matthew Stafford do for this offense? 
Oh, that's a big question. Um, yeah, 17 month span, by the way, between the contract and the decision wow. to move on. So that's uh, that's not a complete abrupt pivot in today's league, but it's pretty close to one. So uh, yeah, it was. And I think, like you said, part of it was it happened at 8.30 p.m. on a Saturday night right. um, in January. So it, it was very, very interesting, all of the sequencing of events. And, and I'm sure we'll get to what led up to it and all of that. But in terms of Matthew Stafford, um, Sean McVay really wanted someone who he felt could elevate the offense as a passer in terms of activating all the eligible players. Um, and then also negotiating the pocket, working out of structure, freestyling when needed, um, diagnosing, finding those, those throwing windows um, when pressure is there. Things that, um, you know, I'm not going to come out and necessarily, you know, say that the previous quarterback could not do those things or ever do those things. But there was definite need for improvement in, in that regard in the minds of the Rams staff and especially in the mind of Sean McVay. And Matthew Stafford um, is obviously about as savvy as they come in terms yeah. of that negotiation and, and the way that he sees the field. And not just the way that he sees the immediacy of the play unfolding, but in fact, indeed, the way he sees the eligibles and how they get open and um, sort of the different chess pieces, how they move on the board. So I think that was something that really really spoke to um, Sean McVay and the Rams. And in terms of their receiving core, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Deshaun Jackson's in town now. Um, they drafted Tutu Atwell at 57. Um, and Van Jefferson still has a long way to emerge, in my opinion. I'm a big Van Jefferson fan. So um, getting those guys working in complement, Tyler Higby, a couple of the younger tight ends, um, activation of eligibles was really the, the key phrase and then mm. working out of structure when things are not perfect around you and when things um, sort of start when, when opponents start to figure you out having answers to those problems mid game and in live action and that's such a differentiator at the position and we saw it in San Francisco too I mean obviously one of Sean's friends wanting to take the training wheels off and then I mean these are two great play callers and we'll focus on Sean McVay here but you can only take it so far at times. Like, sure, there are certain opponents week to week that you have a great game plan. They can't stop the rhythm of the offense once it gets into it. But once that is stopped, maybe, you know, when you get to the playoffs or maybe when you run into a one of the top five, top seven defenses, um, what's going to happen when your plan is prevented? Mm -hmm. And having someone like Matthew Stafford is important. And, I mean, I'm just looking back at 2020 right now, just from like a play calling standpoint, I mean – it's it's crystal clear, Sean McVay, top three in offensive plays. You know, they're basically even in terms of pass plays and run plays, in, according to the league. Neutral pass rate was top seven in the league. Neutral pace was top 12 in the league. But then, like, the efficiency numbers from the individual at quarterback is that fell off a cliff. Mm -hmm. I mean, average at the target was 29th. Percentage of pass plays, 15-plus air yards, is 29th. And so it wasn't just like the Matthew Stafford – pickup, right? The, that transaction, it was also coupled with Deshaun Jackson and coupled with Tutu Atwell, where, where it just like signals to me, Jordan, that he was absolutely sick of just not throwing down the field because the, the, the field just got condensed more and more and more. It felt like as the season went along. Yeah. And when you have two receivers who are so excellent going over the middle and into those sort of what uh, coaches call like hospital situations. I yeah. mean, that's not a great way to put it, but we, it is what it is. Um, Cooper cup and Robert Woods being so physical and so able to, to do those things. You, you don't want to then put one hand behind their back because things are too clogged to manipulate that part of the field. And they've got just too many people draped on them. So you need to be able to hold a defense accountable and stretch them back, stretch them wide on some of those sweeps and maybe ease up some of the things, not only for the, your receivers who do go over the middle, but also for your running game as well. And Cam Akers emerging. The thing that was really interesting to me was watching them change their offense because they, be, they began the year doing, you know, reasonably well in terms of their explosive plays they they did fall off a cliff yeah. and they then started to depend or ultimately had to depend too much on the catch and run plays in terms of building up their explosive plays in that regard, either running plays by Kim Akers when he came along at the end of the year um, or catch and runs from Robert Woods and Cooper cup, but they weren't airing it out. And sometimes would in 
really weird situations like third and one and fourth and one fades like just outside the red zone, you know, just different things that were, you know, is is that what you're seeing or is that was that the call and and things that weren't matching up conversationally after the game? And then, um, you know, I asked Sean McVay straight up at the end of the year about this was uh, three days before Jared Goff got traded, by the way. Um, and I asked him straight up, you know, are you limited because of you you having to rely on um, the way that you changed your offense, first of all, to depend on some of those shorter yard catch and run plays, but also you're turning the ball over too much at quarterback. He goes, that is not the world I want to live in. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Uh, and look, and look where we are now. Look and where we then are now. three days later. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was when I started digging on the the chatter of that yeah. they were having with teams about uh, taking calls on Jared. And then I was like, this thing is real and it's really yeah. moving. So we outlined the quarterback, but that wasn't the only change here for this Rams team. I'm looking at just the targets in the passing game last year. Obviously, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup both had over 124 targets last season, but then three and four, Josh Reynolds, and Gerald Everett. Neither of those players are on the roster this season. You know, it wasn't just this quarterback change that is changing Sean McVay. It's, it's been fascinating to track him as a coach in the last few years because we know in his first couple of years, it was just like 11 personnel, 92% of the time. I'm going to do mm-hmm. the same thing that I'm doing each and every week. And then it seemed like he had a realization prior to last offseason, and it trickled down to like his coordinators too because Wade Phillips was great. Like they didn't have a bad defense necessarily, but he wanted someone who on a weekly basis would design a new game plan and utilize his players in different ways. And I think he looked at himself in the mirror too and said, I I, I should do that offensively. So like the personnel groupings last season were at 65% and 11 personnel, 29% and 12 personnel. But again, the actual players in those alignments are going to be different. So I long way to ask this question. So who's going to be, if they stick in those two formations and alignments, who's going to be the second tight end? And most importantly, who's going to be the number three wide receiver? I still continue to hear really great things about Van Jefferson. And I know that they have big plans for Deshaun Jackson if he can stay healthy. And that's the key here. When they gave him his contract, it's heavily, heavily incentivized by game Mm -hmm. um, and by ability to be on the active game day roster, which completely correlates to him, you know, missing all but eight games in the last two seasons because of injury. And then Tutu Atwell, like, a lot of potential there, I think, in this particular style of offense. But again, um, you know, how far does a young rookie have to come? What kinds of things are they going to limit him early? Um, what kinds of things are they really going to incorporate? So I think Van Jefferson coming into year two um, should be solidified as wide receiver three. And and I think he can do a lot more of a variety of things than maybe what we saw Last year, he kind of seemed to get lost in the shuffle, not not only because of the way the offense changed, but also, you know, as a rookie, because they were trying to work Josh Reynolds into the mix and trying Mm -hmm. to um, sort of maximize that last year on Josh Reynolds's deal. And um, so I think that kind of kind of hindered him a little bit, as well as obviously what we talked about before in terms of the offense and and all of that. Um, But then tight end, too, is really interesting because they they would hope that guy is Bryson Hopkins. Um, because they spent the entire last year keeping him on the active roster so that he couldn't get plucked by anybody um, and developing him and and not activating him on game days and developing him. And he's a super raw prospect and um, someone who has a basketball background and someone who um, can go up and high point those balls that we know Matthew Stafford loves to throw, somebody who they'd like to see win contested catches, someone who can be a red zone threat. These are all steps that forward that he needs to take in order to solidify that position. I don't know that they are going to ask this player to do a lot of blocking. I think they legitimately, because they know, and, and this has been Sean McVay's catchphrase this off season is they know Matthew Stafford is going to activate all five eligibles at all times. So your number two tight end, if, if Tyler Higby's helping you with in the blocking scheme, um, you know, your number two tight end is probably going to be one who you'd like to utilize more in the passing game. And ultimately that huh. could be a Jacob Harris who they drafted this year, but who has like crazy numbers, but is yeah. super, super raw prospect. 
Bryson Hopkins was similar um, in in that they saw so much potential in him, but knew that he needed a year to develop and really sort of hone those skills as a receiver. And and that's a lot of times where I would see him at practice is doing receiving drills and things like that instead of uh, necessarily doing the things that Johnny Munt, another tight end, was doing, which was kind of staying in line and doing a little bit more of that. So um, they did keep Johnny Munt just in case they need a little extra oomph uh, in, in the blocking. But I, I do think this this should be Bryson Hopkins' okay. job to lose. Um, he he I, I haven't seen him in a live game. Right. So I, I need to see him, you know, and, and the development moving forward. But like the the guy has a ton of potential. Um, so I think there's some possibility there. You mentioned Van Jefferson so much. He's going as wide receiver 90 on underdog right now, which sounds like a screaming value. So thank you for that, Jordan. Uh, and quickly on tight end, like Tyler Higby's really good. Yeah. And Tyler Higby is like the one in whatever formation that's probably going to be in the field if he's healthy. He basically split targets last year with Gerald Everett with 60 and 62. Is there a chance that Tyler Higby could get like 90 targets or is that asking for too much? You know what? I, I almost would have thought it would have been last season because he had that rapport with Jared Goff and then they yeah. started keeping him in line a lot more um, to help out blocking. Some of that I think was due to, you know, Andrew Whit- Whitworth goes down and yeah. they're kind of having a continuity. Um, so, you know, trying to figure themselves out on offensive line and they're kind of shuffling a little bit again this year. So um, we'll kind of see how that goes, but Tyler Higby absolutely has the ability to be a prolific pass catching tight end. Um, and I think that's something that he's been itching and wanting to do. So with Matthew Stafford and the way that they activate, I think Bryson Hopkins is a player where you have to scheme him in specific situationals, whereas Tyler Higby, you can just throw him out there and, and be okay with it. Um, and, and that's not a knock on Bryson. It's just they're just different players. So I, I think that that's a possibility for um, – I. I might be using the verbiage wrong in terms of fantasy football, but I'm going to try it. it for you, Josh. Do I it. think Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson are both value picks. There you go. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Higby's <laughs> going as, as tight end 10, and that's something we absolutely – we say it every show, but we want to get uh, all over. Okay, two more questions. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the running back situation. Obviously, you know, Cam Akers didn't get as many starts as probably like his late season performance should indicate – and so we'll get more starts this year. You're talking about activating targets, so activating skill players because you have a quarterback that can see the field now and doesn't have to hear it in his helmet before the play goes. Um, <laughs> and Cam Akers only got 14 targets last year. You know, you look at Malcolm Brown, he had 33. Gerald Henderson had 24. That would at least double, don't you think? With Cam yeah, Akers? and part of that was because Malcolm Brown was their best pass pro guy. And teams started sending zeros on them like as uh, you know about halfway through the season they just Miami. started they just started sending zeros <laughs> on them like crazy and it it drove a lot of people on that offense like absolutely nuts and so um you know Malcolm Brown you know his his pass pro and his ability to pick up different types of things was was invaluable um i don't know that they're going to have as big of a concern in that regard um, with somebody who can move as needed. And so I think that Cam Akers should be utilized more in the passing. He has the ability. Uh, He's extremely dynamic, extremely explosive. He came along um, leaps and bounds and was really the reason why he didn't get as many touches early is because he had, um, he separated his rib cartilage by landing on the pointy end of the football against the Eagles. And then three defensive Three defensive tackles landed on top of him, so the ball just squeaked right through his ribs. Yeah, you love that visual there, Josh. I can see that. <laughs> and then, um, you know, he came back, and then obviously that's you're, you're not trying to get this guy in blocking situations after something like that happened to him. Then, you know, he had a high an- ankle sprain a little bit later in the year. So um, I, I really think he is the lead running back of this group based on his potential and the ability he showed at the end of last season. And I also think that just looking at some of Matthew Stafford's numbers to running backs um, last year, I I do think that there's a lot of opportunity um, for Cam Akers to get utilized in the, in the passing game. I would expect those targets to double um, at minimum next year. Um, You are an absolute star, Jordan Enrique. Thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Josh, thank you for having me. And I am so, so happy to be listening to you all the time. This great, great show. So I appreciate being on it. Joined now by Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. Phil, the New England Patriots, what an offseason. Immediately, 
when free agency opened, they attacked the tight end position, two massive contracts, brought in two pass catchers at wide receiver. They've kind of shored up the offensive line with some new pieces and some old pieces and then cap it all off with spinning the number 15 overall pick and the quarterback. That leads me to think, hey, the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels are trying to put what happened in 2020 offensively in the rearview mirror. So what is this 2021 offense going to look like, Phil? It's going to be fun. It's going to be, I think, a much better product than last year, thankfully for the people of New England, because what happened last year really wanted to make everybody put their heads through a television, I think, Josh, quite frankly. (laughs) So whether it is Cam Newton or Mac Jones, and that's really the big question, but whoever it is, they have certainly built the offense in a certain way, right? And you mentioned the tight ends off the top. You give that kind of money to the two top tight ends in the free agent market. You spend the kind of money that they did over all this offseason. They have made it very clear who they want to be, in my opinion. And they want to be a heavy personnel, run the football, play action type of offense, which I think they're really well built to be. I mean, you look at their offensive line. You mentioned some of the additions they made. One of them was Trent Brown who is weighing about 380 pounds. I think these days, Michael Wenu is a second-year guy who's going to be a key player for them after they lost Joe Tooney. He's 350 pounds. So you're talking about like this massive, beefy, you know, Shaq Mason's one of the best run blockers in the league. Yep. Beefy offensive line that wants to run the football. If it's Cam, you've got a running quarterback that's going to contribute in that sense to, to be part of that run game so they can play 11-on-11, especially down in the red zone. Even if it's not, if it's Mac Jones, they're, they're going to be able to run the football well. And then you have these two tight ends out there that are going to hopefully for them create a bunch of mismatches. So the narrative around Bill Belichick is often Patriots fans revel in the Belichick zig when everyone else zags type of approach. Yep. Right. He's one so, step ahead. Well, everybody, you know, the, the whole league's getting fast, right? Speed matters. Well, the Patriots might have the slowest group of offensive personnel in football. That is not an exaggeration. We did a whole thing looking at 40 times and receiver 40 times and tight end 40 times and running backs. They look like they could be the slowest in the league. But if they want to be a bully offensively, does that really matter? So that to me is kind of the most fun aspect of this football team to watch moving forward is what do they turn into offensively? Because last year was, we don't know what they were offensively last year. Now they've got this sort of blank slate to work with well and they weren't just slow with their skill position players they were just slow in terms of playing football i mean they were <laughs> 31st in pass plays 29th in total plays mm-hmm. their pace was 13th across the league the neutral pass rate though was 31st there are so many layers i want to get to so maybe we start with like personnel groupings mm-hmm. okay because i think that that's going to be a significant differentiator this year compared to last year because when you look at it Last year, New England, they were in 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, 53% of the time. And in 12 personnel, two tight end sets, just 2% of the time. I mean, now you, when you go out and sign two tight ends in Hunter Henry and, and Jonu Smith, who are multiple and versatile and those things, but it's going to count for this personnel grouping I just mentioned. How high do you think that 12 personnel can go up to this year? Oh, boy. Well, so like, to me, like league lead in terms of oh, last yeah. year, the league lead was 35% with Philly and, and Tennessee. Tennessee, I remember, was was way up there too. Yeah. And and it's wild, right? Because, you know, Philly and Tennessee, it makes sense. Tennessee, I think, was using three tight ends at times. Yep. But uh, they had John New Smith, they had, you know, Anthony Ferkser, and, mm-hmm. you know, they used a couple of other guys. Um, and the, the Eagles tight ends, we know, I think they're going to, they're going to, blow those numbers out of the water though you know if you go all the way back to 2011 I believe the Patriots were over 50 percent two tight end sets with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez the key to me though Josh is third down because if you're first first and second down using two tight ends is all well and good right I mean you get your big people on the field you see how the defense reacts if they go big two you throw on their linebackers that aren't able to cover John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. If they go light and they want to cover those guys with DBs, that's okay. You run the football. What happens on third and eight hmm. is my question, given how this team's constructed right now, because you could still keep those guys on the field. They're fine receivers, but they are, you know, in those obvious passing situations and that run threat is, is taken away. They are bigger, slower, 
you know, less dynamic receivers as great of athletes as those guys are. They're just, they're tight ends. They're not receivers. So third and long, you know, it doesn't even have to be third long, third and five plus, let's say that. That to me is is going to be sort of where the rubber meets the road for this offense because, of course, you're going to try to stay out of those situations in the first place on first and second down. Great. You are still going to run into those, and those are going to be some of the most important plays of your season. And I don't know how they separate. I don't know how they win on the outside when they're trying to move the ball through the air. They have Nelson Aguilar, who I think is a true starting caliber receiver. Outside of that, I'm not sure, Josh. They've got Kendrick Bourne. They've got Jacoby Myers. You're going to keep at least one of those tight ends on the field on third down. You know, that that's the question to me. I think they're going to have success on first and second down. I think they're going to be really good running the football. I think they're going to be efficient using those tight ends. But can you use them the way you want to Yeah. when the whole building knows that you have to throw? Because that's sort of where the advantage gets taken away. You, you brought up to early 2000, maybe 2011. And every time, you know, people mention Johnny Smith now, they mention Aaron Hernandez. Is that like a like-for-like like thing that is fair to say now? Has the game progressed so much? Has Josh McDaniels progressed that that usage of Gronk and Aaron Hernandez? And I can tell you, working with the Rams, McDaniels as the OC that one year tried to right. make it work with those two tight ends. Is that really like his goal with this? I think that's the goal. I don't think they think these guys are the same type of player, though. Okay. Meaning Hunter Henry is, you know, they know he's not Rob Gronkowski. They know Johnu Smith isn't Aaron Hernandez. I mean, Aaron Hernandez was dynamic as a receiver, right? He was special. And so from the people that I've spoken to, they understand that Johnu Smith is maybe a better blocker and maybe somebody that you would use in line more than they would have used Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez was not that guy, right? He was the motion guy. They used him in the backfield at times. He was sort of a do-it-all kind of player, but he really was not a line him up next to a tackle you know, in a short yardage situation and have him move a body. That was not his style. So I think Johnu Smith kind of moves you back towards like the middle of the tight end spectrum in terms of the true dual threat guy from the Aaron Hernandez. You know, if you're look starting at the Aaron Hernandez mold, he's a little bit more of a of a traditional tight end. Um, but he's closer to what Hernandez was for that eleven team. And Hunter Henry, right. I think, is a little bit more of a receiver than Gronk was a, you know, obviously Gronk was, was a classic Y who could kind of do everything. Um, so anyway, I think you're getting a little bit less from both guys, Josh. And if you look at that 11 team, this is why I would say that there are some concerns about this Patriots offense. I go beyond the quarterback position. That 11 team had a true number one receiver. Yeah. In quotation marks in Wes Welker, yeah. right. Who's, you know, one of the most productive guys in the league. Thousand yard guy. Now, I don't think you have that, which means you might have to rely more on the tight ends who aren't as good as the tight ends were in 2011. And oh, by the way, you don't have a Hall of Famer at quarterback anymore. So I I just think this offense, as good as it's going to be, I think, in the running game and on early downs, I think it could have its issues because they, they haven't quite loaded up enough with their weapons that I, I think they're going to be like a, a championship caliber offense. Let, let's stick in the past. Because we have both come to the conclusion for entertainment purposes and from success purposes, this team does not want to be what they were in 2020 offensively. And so I went just back one year before then to look at 2019 and you'll have much better context than I do just with that team structure and the outline. Obviously Tom Brady was a part of it, but just their efficiency numbers and the analytics say that they were drastically different on offense. I mean, they were third in total offensive plays first in pace across the league Fifth in pass attempts. I don't know if that was dictated by Tom, by the personnel, by the defense. I'm not going to say they're going to go like all the way, but in the last few years, Phil, you've seen like the two opposite ends of the spectrum with that. Is for 2021, is it fair to lean one direction or the other? I think you're going to see something that more closely resembles last season. Oh, no. Don't just tell me hope, that. And, Phil. Just hope, and just hope that it's better. You know, I think no. in terms of the pace. And how they want to win, Josh, I know. it's, it, But you can't ask, I don't think, either Cam Newton or Mac Jones to have the game on their shoulders as often as it was in 2019 with Tom Brady, right? I mean, I think that's what they would love to be. They would love to be spread it out, kill you with a thousand paper cuts kind of offense, oh, no. and just pick you apart. 
that's just not what they're going to be. They're going to try to grind the clock. They're going to try to take care of the football. They believe in their defense. It's all of this stuff that is not fun to watch <laughs> a lot of times. I mean, I, I thought all of these, it can off, be. I thought all these be. offseason actions pointed to them being like, hey, you want to be what we were like the previous decade now, but that's probably not fair for me to say because, again, you have the greatest quarterback of all time for the two decades prior to that, and you can't just put that, even if you do believe, and we'll get the quarterbacks in a second, even if you do believe in either of these guys, you can't expect them to to carry the the series by series, the play to play responsibility like they previously did. You can't, and so th- that's what they want to do is they just want, and they tried to do this last year, and it worked at times, right? You look at some of their better games from last year. It was they ran it well, they got out to a lead, and they protected it. That's all they want to do. The way they're going to try to get out to those leads, though, is by their running game and by extension, their play action game. And so they're going to try to make it easy for whoever's playing quarterback. And that's just going to be their style. I would say like, and I think this is probably just because I've written about them lately, but a decent comp, I think for this offense potentially could be what they're doing in Cleveland. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know we're, we're conditioned, you know, Josh McDaniels is Josh McDaniels and the offenses are the difference and they're different and they are coming from different coaching trees. Like, I don't think this is going to be a Kevin Stefanski slash Shanahan style run game, bootleg, that sort of stuff. But Cleveland's invested in its offensive line. It wants to run the football. It wants its quarterback to take care of the ball. You know, Baker Mayfield was, I think, 24 touchdowns and eight picks last year. And he didn't light the world on fire. He was just over seven yards per attempt. He was low 60s in the completion percentage, but they ran it well. They've invested in similar areas. And I think that's sort of who the Patriots at their core want to be. But instead of that sort of outside zone running game, they're going to be more of a power-based running game where you're going to see Michael Wenu pulling and trying to pancake people. So with all this running, play action, Considering everyone is healthy, and also mm-hmm. considering we haven't seen Ramon J. Stevenson play an NFL snap yet, even in the preseason, who is the beneficiary of that at the running back position? Is it Damian Harris? Yes. Damian Harris is the guy. Love it. I think okay. Ramon J. Stevenson could end up getting a, a good amount of work. You know, that's another, you know, they've been making statements as to who they want to be all offseason offensively. Start with the tight ends, add on the offensive line. They give Isaiah Wynn uh, that fifth-year option. They draft a 230-pound running back. I mean, they are telling you yeah. what they want to do. Sony Michelle is still on the roster. I don't know for how much longer he's going to be on the roster, Josh. Right. Uh, Damian Harris, when when healthy, is clearly the, the guy with more juice. And Sony Michelle basically ended up playing when Damian Harris couldn't last year. And we know he's had a long history of knee issues and I'm not sure how much there is left for Sony Michelle. So we'll see how they break up those carries. You know, James White is still in the mix. He's not going to be carrying the football. But, um, you know, J.J. Taylor is sort of a, a fun back that they really like out of Arizona uh, that I think they think could have a role similar to what Deion Lewis had, who was mm-hmm. sort of that – he was kind of that hybrid. You could hand it off between the tackles with him in a way that you might not with James White, but you could also use him a little bit in the passing game. So – I don't know what the running back breakup will be other than when healthy, Damian Harris is going to be the number one guy. And I could see him being really kind of the workhorse guy, which is what Michelle was 2018 and 2019. And yeah. and people were, you know, people like Alabama football watch a lot of SEC. They draft Patriots drafted Damian Harris in the third round 2019. And the running game wasn't great 2019, mostly because they had injuries on the offensive line. Marshall Newhouse was playing left tackle. David Andrews was out. And people were like, where's Damian Harris? We need to see Damian Harris. We need to see Damian Harris. So the reality was they weren't going to play Damian Harris as long as Sony Michelle was healthy. And I think you're going to see that happen this year with Damian Harris. He's going as running back 32 right now on uh, on underdog, which is mm. just a screaming value. Mm-hmm, Everyone mm-hmm. you heard was hitting the pause button on the show to go draft right now out there. Um, all right. Since I didn't open with this question, I, I, I'll end with it. Right now, the company line is that Cam Newton is the Patriots starting quarterback. If Mac Jones just looks better than Cam Newton during preseason action, can he be the starter for this team in week one? I think he can. I might be one of the only people in town who feels that way, though, Josh. Wow. You'd be hard-pressed to find people who, who, 
are willing to move off that spot. And I'm happy that you're on my side. I feel like I'm sort of, sort of a crazy person in my padded room here. You know, like, <laughs> am I losing my mind? If, if, if he's clearly better in training camp, I think the job will be his. Uh, and I feel that way for a variety of reasons. Number one is just the NFL trend now is that quarterbacks don't get redshirt years anymore. I looked at it over the last 10 years. I think there have been 32 quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Four of them basically had redshirt years. You know, it includes Patrick Mahomes and Jordan Love and guys that we're, you know, talking about a lot these days for different reasons, but it's not all that common. And I think people are reluctant to think of the Patriots as just another team in the NFL. Well, they must do it a different way. It has to be different with them. When the reality is, Tom Brady leaves, you become a 500 team basically, and you're drafting a quarterback in the first round. You're kind of like everybody else, <laughs> you know, at that position, at least you, you kind of are. And, you know, Bill Belichick too. People say, well, Bill, you know, would never play a rookie quarterback. Why not? When's yeah. he ever drafted a first round rookie quarterback before? You know, when has he ever been in this position before? He hasn't. And if you look at his history of first round picks, you know, I think there's this feeling too here locally that, Oh, Bill hates rookies. He doesn't want to play rookies. Look at up and down the list of his first round picks. Everybody plays. The the one guy that it looked like he drafted two redshirt was Nate Solder back in 2011. They had two starting tackles already. He ended up starting 13 games. Yeah. So I just I don't rule it out. I think Cam has to. It's Cam's job to lose, Josh. So like if he comes out and he plays well and he looks healthy and the weapons around him, he's you know he's throwing to tight ends the way you know look and they're looking like Greg Olson you know, times two out there, like that's a different story. But if it looks like it did last year in camp, the quarterback picture here last year was a disaster. I mean, it just wasn't good. They went, they went days, Josh, without completing a pass. Over 25, 20 12, yards downfield. Yeah. 12 yards or more, not even 20. Like the days that, that of camp. That was Cam's time during his final year in Carolina too. Like I am the biggest Cam supporter, but even I think it's over. And it might not be over like in week one, but I think it's just something that's going to wear him down in week five, week six. It's just a question of of health with with him, I think, yeah. first and foremost. But they also, you know, they want to run the offense a certain way. And even though it's now built to be this running game and maybe a little bit different than what they had with Brady, they still do want accuracy at the quarterback position. They want good decision-making at the quarterback position. That was not Cam last year. It really hasn't been Cam accuracy-wise uh, for the duration of his career. He's never really been like a pinpoint guy. It's the other reason why I think Mac Jones has a chance to play. We all go into the draft saying quarterback is the major need for the Patriots on this roster right now. Not for 2022 or 2023. Right now, to be a good team, they need an upgraded quarterback. You know, why would you draft the guy in the top half of the first round and then not and then not play him, but not play him at all? And they came away with a quarterback, Josh. That's really what, what people here care about is like they just wanted a plan. It didn't look like there was a plan. They hadn't really invested know, since dude. 2017. After trading Jimmy Garoppolo, they traded him in 2017. All those drafts. They had two picks in 2018, five quarterbacks go in the first round that year, including Lamar Jackson, the last pick. Uh, they had chances to make moves at that spot, and they didn't until this year. So Belichick finally had his op- opportunity to pick his guy, as you mentioned, yeah. and it is straight out of the Bill Belichick scouting report from 1991 with the <laughs> Cleveland Browns. And I'm actually excited about Mac. Like, I like Mac a lot. I know he got a bunch of heat because people suggested he'd be the number three overall pick and that just elevated expectations. Right. I really like him. I, I don't like that. You broke my heart that they're just going to run the football this year, but um, maybe his play <laughs> they're will gonna dictate have to throw. They're going to yeah. have to, but I think it's just in a perfect world. I don't think that's what they're going to be doing a lot of. I mean, that receiving, I mean, is that, is that the worst receiving group in the league? Second worst, maybe after the Lions? Well, hey, at least it's better than last year. Like I'm, I'm looking at it where, and <laughs> such a low bar. I, it is, it is. But Nelson Aguilar for, on underdog is going as wide receiver 59, and for someone who almost certainly is going to play the highest percentage of snaps at wide receiver on his team, and while the pass attempts might be low, that kind of screams like a value to me. But it is, um, and I, I mean, for me, and this is, you know, I know we both love the fantasy stuff. I will be drafting Jacoby Myers late. In a, in a lot of leagues because he un, he does what they want to do. He was not a high-end pick. Nikhil Harry was getting reps over, over Jacoby Myers, you know, really up through the first until Nikhil Harry got hurt again. But, like, 
they wanted to give the first round pick every opportunity to contribute when the reality was this undrafted guy is sitting there yeah. just doing everything they want him to do in terms of getting open and running running the right routes and being smart and blocking and like and he ended up having a good year last year, you know? Like so if you're in a really deep league or if you're looking for a really good value, yep. Um he is somebody that I would not be surprised if he is of their receivers if he's if he's second on the team there behind uh, Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, we go 18 rounds deep and Jacoby Myers is right there at wide receiver 91. So there's your 18th round pick for you right there. Boom. Courtesy. Done and done. Perry. Thanks buddy. Appreciate your time. Anytime Josh. Thanks for having me. Join now, J.P. Finley, 106.7 The Fan, NBC Sports Washington, and a dear friend. J.P., how you doing, buddy? Norris, we're a long way from uh, from recording in cars in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> but I miss it, don't you? I do. I, I do. The grind and building things up and uh, going and watching football in person, I miss all those things. Speaking of changes, there's been a lot of changes in Washington. Obviously made the playoffs last year. Really want to focus on... On this offense, because while, again, the team was successful on some levels, you look at some of their advanced analytics. They were 32nd average at the target in the passing game, 31st in percent of passes that traveled 15 plus yards down the field. Their neutral pass rate, their neutral offensive pace was about mid-level. I have to think, JP, that Scott Turner, Ron Rivera, set back maybe during the season, after the season, and said, this isn't the offense that we want to run in 2021. So now with Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fold, what is the offense that they want to run this season? Ron trusts Scott with the offense. A lot of that is Ron's incredible trust in Norv Turner, Scott's dad. Norv gave Ron his first job as a D coordinator. It's no coincidence then that Ron is giving Scott his first job as an offensive coordinator. Scott is sharp. Scott is an analytics guy. Scott knows their offense stunk, and most of it was due to quarterback play. Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins – probably combined for 10, 10 of the 16 starts, something like that. Neither of those dudes went downfield at all. The best quarterback play this team got was from Taylor Heineke in the wildcard game, and they signed Taylor Heineke the first week of December. Alex was hurt. Alex was kind of hurt. Dwayne wasn't good. Um, Kyle Allen was throwing interceptions. So they recognize how bad they were. Their receiver group was also really bad. The, the, the group that broke camp – Four of their six wideouts were undrafted. And that's not to say there aren't good undrafted stories, but you don't want 60% of one position group to be undrafted, particularly at a skill position. So just to give you an idea about the holes offensively that they had, um, Antonio Gibson ended up being a great weapon for them. I think you were super high on him, if I remember. I was. Good memory, JP. I love when you have recall like that. But So now you bring Fitzy in. Listen, we all know the Fitch magic, Fitch tragic stuff. Um, Fitzpatrick has been really bad at times. He's been really good at times, but they are convinced. I've talked to a number of sources, coaches in that organization that truly believe the last two years is a snapshot of who he is now as a quarterback. And that is the guy that goes deep, gives his receivers chances to make plays, but is cut way down on the turnovers. Um, I think, they will love if they can get a, a two to one TD to INT ratio. And if you look at his last two seasons, it's not quite two to one. It's probably 1.7 to one, but, but they can live with that. This, this team's defense last year in consecutive games only gave up 20 points. They gave up 20 yeah. points to Russ Wilson and the Seahawks, 20 points to Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers. They lost both those games because the offense could generate nothing. If, if, if they can score, if they can get to the middle of the pack offensively, this could be a 10-win team. I, I think they think they could have a, a big jump this year offensively. Yeah, I mentioned a lot of the stats about the efficiency of the passing was really poor. And just like forcing opposing defenses to cover the entire field, that was really bad. But from Scott's perspective, he's someone who in his past has always wanted to play quickly and, and throw a lot, even in neutral situations. I mentioned last year they're about middle of the pack, league average, in all those categories, pass plays, they're actually ninth in the NFL. On paper, JP, that might look like a positive. When you go back to he and Norv calling plays in 2019 for the Panthers, they were among the league highest. I mean, they were fifth in total offensive plays. They were second in total pass attempts. Their pace was fourth. Their their pass percentage was, was fifth. Like, this is with Scott, and now that he has a capable quarterback who, you know, might not be a top 12, top 15 passer on a week-to-week basis. He's going to give you top 10 quarterback weeks, though. He's also going to give you some maybe bottom 10 weeks. 
you know, people view in terms of gambling and, and fantasy football, like, oh, having a great defense is, is a bad thing because, you know, an offense doesn't have to catch up to it. You know, like, they're not going to settle for 17 points a week if, if they can put up more, right? Like, having a great defense in this scenario that can give you advantageous starting positions for your offense in the opposing team's 50-yard line, this could set up as a top 10, top 12 offense overall this season, I think. I'll defer to you, but aren't touchdowns way more valuable than yardage yes. and, and from a fantasy perspective? I, I think if their scoring goes up, will absolutely help them. I think a guy like Terry McLaurin with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick's ability and, and I'd say excitement to go deep will be a big asset. I, I think this is silly, but their fourth rounder was a blocking tight end at a Boise state named John Bates. Yeah. I think that dude is going to help Antonio Gibson incredibly. Um, Scott likes to run a lot of 12 personnel and, and you know what Logan Thomas's role is going to be, but I think Bates can help them blocking DNs right away. Um, listen, it's 2021. Like Scott Turner's not looking to run the ball 50 times and grind out seven, six wins. That's just right. like, he's a modern offensive mind and wants to Maybe not quite go up tempo, but he he wants more plays. He wants more passes. He wants to run the ball, but kind of in that second down mindset where you pick up. He's totally cool with a five-yard gain as a pass on first down and, yep. and setting up opportunities to get deep later in the game. We already covered Fitzpatrick and how he changed the offense. Their intended air yards per temp is going to be bigger. They're going to throw more often, run with more pace than last year. That's great. Now let's get into maybe some – of the, the finer detailed players like you started to. They brought in Curtis Samuel. And what was fascinating to me, and I'm sure you went back and watched Curtis Samuel in, in 2020, people say broke out then. And maybe from a production angle, he did. But JP, his role last season, he played 71% of his snaps in the slot. He had an A dot of 7.5, an average depth of target of 7.5 yards. But then when you go back to 2019 again, when he played with Norv and Scott Turner, 29% of his snaps were in the slot. An A dot of almost double that, 14.8 yards. I know we're sitting here in, in mid-May, so you don't exactly know how these guys are going to be utilized or, or run out in the field. But is there one side that you're leaning towards more with Curtis Samuel's usage, that slot underneath player, or one more of a vertical playmaker? Because he can obviously do both. It's a great question. I think they view him as somebody that's lining up on the outside opposite to Terry McLaurin more often than not. Not all the time. I, I think Scott Turner is a big believer in kind of positionless skill position guys where he wants Antonio Gibson to break out into motion and line up in the slot. And, I mean, you, you saw Logan Thomas in the backfield a lot, and, and he has that quarterback background. J.D. McKissick caught, what, 75 passes last year? I, I think you're, you're going to see Samuel move around, but I, I'm a big follow-the-money guy, right? They, they signed Samuel, and then about a week later, they signed Adam Humphreys. You're not signing Adam Humphreys to line up outside for you. You're just not. So they bring him in to be the slot guy. Everybody knows that. And and certainly, I'm not suggesting Samuel will ne will never line up in the slot. But I'd look at the 2019 usage usage rates that you mentioned as a, a much better indicator of, of what they're hoping to see. And I'd add in 19, McCaffrey went bananas, right, for the Panthers. Yeah. Well, and Curtis Samuel would have gone bananas, too, if Kyle Allen wasn't throwing him the football. Like, he would have had, like, six or seven more deep touchdowns that he just whiffed on. So, like, he, the production would have broken out at that time, right. but it didn't because the quarterback play was so bad. He was open in those areas. He was doing well as an outside receiver. So, I think a lot of people, what have you done for me lately, view him as this, like, inside slot guy, close to the line of scrimmage. But I'm so glad that at least we're on the same page that we think Scott is going to go back to how he used him in 2019, which was on the outside. Because it makes sense. He he can absolutely win there. Why you bring Humphreys in a week later if yeah. he's your if he's your new slot guy? And I guess my other question though, because then, and I'm with you. Teams only have to be honest with their draft picks or, or with their money, right? And so with their money, it was Curtis Samuel and and then Adam Humphreys. But then most recently, it's you know a third round pick on Dayami Brown who might be on the DK Metcalf career trajectory of hey, you did this one thing on the outside in college and we're going to add like little pieces as the season goes along. So like if they want to use him, put him on the field, then maybe Curtis moves inside. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think they view him not as depth, but maybe as somebody they don't need to help them immediately. It's funny. The weekend of the draft, I got a call Friday morning from somebody with the Washington football team telling me they, they are all over one receiver. There was one receiver they wanted that night 
and he wouldn't tell me who, but it was they went very in depth on the speed, the agility, the 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 breaks in and out of routes, and it became obvious to me that it, they were talking about Deami Brown. Um, I also think there's maybe some long-term roster planning going on here. You got two more years of Terry McLaurin, but if you're going to try to get a deal done, probably has to happen next offseason. Otherwise, he's going to get to free agency, and that's going to look pretty major, I think. And maybe if they can develop their own guy, you could see. I, I don't want to get too far down the line because Washington fans will go nuts at me. But, I mean, Curtis Samuel is a three-year deal with two years really guaranteed. So th- this is about building – dynamic receiver group now and going forward. If um, if I'm saying what rookies to draft in a best ball league, I don't know that Brown's that guy in 2021, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think he could be that guy down the road. Um, and, and I think he can help. If you look at McLaurin also, he has dealt with injuries late in the year and he hasn't always missed time, but he's been banged up last year. He had two high ankle sprains and, I think you want to have more weapons on the field. We're talking about all these Washington skill players. You know, you can get Terry McLaurin's wide receiver 13, Curtis Samuel's wide receiver 39, Ryan Fitzpatrick as quarterback 21, maybe take a flyer on Dammy Brown at 181. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe you're saying that, hey, no one is drafting Adam Humphreys out there. There is an outside chance he might play more snaps this season than Dammy Brown. I think that's reasonable. We're looking for flyers here, like final round yeah, picks. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a possibility that no one's talking about right now. So I'm glad you said it on this show. I, think, I, I mean, you're, you're talking your 14th round or something. Yeah. yeah. 16, go, back 17, go back to the Tampa numbers when he was with Fitz. And even when he was with Jameis, he was productive. Last year, he had a really bad concussion that cost him half a season or something. Yeah. Um, I think they've targeted him for a reason. He was with the Titans. This is this is a deep cut, but and maybe irrelevant because I'm not going to remember his name. The Titans had, I think it's their pro personnel director, not their GM, but a couple levels down. When Washington was doing their GM search, they interviewed that dude. He goes back to Ron in Carolina, and then they sign Humphreys from the Titans. Like They probably got a good inside scoop on this dude. Like He's it. a Clemson guy. Ron was in Charlotte forever. I don't think that's the worst idea. I love McKissick. I don't know if he qualifies as a late rounder. Let's talk about those running backs because the usage last year, again, with so many players, and I think maybe even more so at running back, might be different this year. And I want you to give us the truth because Jaden McKissick last year was attached to the hip with Alex Smith, had 110 targets for 80 catches. And Antonio Gibson, who I thought was a tremendous receiving back coming out of college, uh, 44 targets. And 36 receptions. So, again, a massive change at quarterback. Do we expect that usage to shift in one way or the other or maybe stay the same where McKissick ends up with more targets this year than Antonio Gibson once again by a large margin? Like, I always thought Gibson would get more carries and McKissick would get more catches, but I didn't expect that disparity. I I expected it to be a lot more kind of congruent, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, So, I still expect that to happen. I think with Gibson, they were – he was – so raw early on. And I think he was really hurt by the lack of off-season workouts. I mean, he showed up to training camp and he'll tell you, I, I did an interview with him on the podcast. He's like, man, I was so confused. I really appreciate coach Scott for, he, he said, Scott never yelled at me. Scott was patient with me. I think a lot of that was they were throwing so much at Gibson to get him to become an NFL running back. They just weren't ready to throw that much more. I think more will be thrown his way, but I think you got to give McKissick more carries to keep the threat of both of those guys. Um, I, I also, I think you could put them in like two, two back sets. I think they did that last year a little bit because I remember there were a few games and this was probably when Alex was at quarterback where they just knew they couldn't, you know, create a rhythm offensively. And so they had to manufacture stuff. And I remember in the first couple of series, McKissick was playing as a slot, then you get manufacture sweeps and touches and all these things. And like they were designing plays for him because he he is electric with the ball in his hands for sure. I wonder if we see some of that too with him in the slot. The Washington offense in 2020, especially when Dwayne and Alex were out there, was a National League team in the 80s. They just try to get a runner on and then they bunt him over and hit a sack fly. <laughs> they were manufacturing offense. Like it, it was not simple to do. And I think a lot of that was just the lack of talent at wideout and defenses knowing that half the field isn't a threat. And, and I think that will change a lot this fall. If, if Gibson can try to start to beat out Peyton Barber for some of the short yardage stuff, 
that could help his carries a lot and help his touchdowns a lot. A lot of it is formation. Whenever they got into kind of a two-minute hurry-up, and they had a ton – Alex's first two games where he pl- where he played after the Rams game, which was just an abomination, but the Giants and the Lions, they had huge deficits, right? And Alex ended up throwing for like 400 yards in the second half of those games, mostly against prevent defenses, mostly just trying to come back and score a couple of touchdowns. McKissick chopped so much wood in those situations that I don't, I think from a game flow standpoint, things should look different. So I, I think his catch numbers are a little bit inflated. I wouldn't sleep on Logan Thomas, though, dude, especially in a contract year. He had 70 catches last year. He's good. He's good. I know for a fact that Scott Turner loved Antonio Gibson pre-draft last year. He was, he was fighting to get him drafted. I know this as well. <laughs> and, and I think I think that he was only scratching, scratching the surface last year. I love it. Yeah. Logan Thomas is going as tight end nine, so we always search for those tight ends outside of like the top four, top five to hit. And uh, there's definitely going to be opportunity for him. JP, thanks so much for taking your time. Appreciate it. You're the man. Congrats on all the, the new stuff, dude. Thanks, buddy. It is the Athletics, Shio Kapadia, who covers the Philadelphia Eagles. Shio, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. It's it's off-season prep, look ahead, form opinions that are going to be terrible times. So I'm just, you know, before <laughs> I was on with you, just scrolling through uh, the teams, doing some Baltimore Ravens prep work and uh, form, uh-huh. forming my opinion. So it's all good. Yeah, you don't just stick to the Eagles. You go through all 32 teams this summer uh, with a major analytics focus through an analytics lens, which you know I love. I read every single one of those. Uh, so you're welcome. <laughs> Let's start first. From this perspective, um, you go from Andy Reid to a few years later, Doug Peterson, then obviously Frank Reich worked with Doug Peterson. Then you have Nick Sirianni who worked with Frank Reich. And now you have Nick Sirianni as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's not just maybe that play calling and offensive style foundation that he brings to the table. It might be with a different style of quarterback than one that he's necessarily uh, accustomed to. So it's a very general question. Shield, but what is this offense going to look like in 2021 with Jalen Hurts and the Nick Sirianni combination? Well, I think you hit on the big thing. You know, when you look at the Colts last year, I remember watching the first like six weeks of the season and it really felt like, all right, they're handing the keys over to Phillip Rivers. They're so happy to have this veteran quarterback and just kind of let it rip. And then all of a sudden they were turning the ball over a little bit. Their defense was a little bit better than they anticipated. And if you look at sort of the second half of their season, I mean, it was uh, more a run heavy attack and, and Phillip Rivers and Jalen Hurts. I mean, could there be any two more different quarterbacks? So I don't have a great answer for you, to to be honest. I mean, what Nick Sirianni has said, and this is what you want to hear from coaches, is that I'm not coming in and implementing my scheme and just Mm -hmm. saying, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to mold my scheme around the talents of our players. Now, as we know, every coach says that. Not every coach does that. But if he is going to do that, I think you have to look at this as an offense that's going to have a quarterback-inclusive run game. I mean, if you don't do that with Jalen Hurts, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not going to get the best out of him. And so that, to me, is kind of the big key that I want to keep an eye on uh, during training camp. The early part of the season is do they have a plan to have Jalen Hurts be you know, a big part of this offense as a ball carrier, whether it's RPO, zone read, quarterback design runs, all those different things, because I think you have to do that with Hurts. You know, in our football bubble, after the Eagles spend a top 10 selection on Devontae Smith, a situation where a lot of people look at it and say, well, he might lead this team you know, and, and target market share and target percentage. But among rookies, his targets might be lower because of the offense. But then I go back and I've just been regurgitating that show to be perfectly honest with you. Then I go back and actually look at like the box scores of what Jalen Hurts did in the offense last year. And in his first three starts, it was basically 30 attempts, 44 attempts and 39 attempts. That's a, a, a large passing portfolio he has on the table for those games. Do you think that that might be consistent? And obviously his, his efficiency, his his accuracy, his completion percentage, and some of that was on him and some of that was on his pass-catching weapons just was not there. But do you think we might see that volume again this season or it might change? Well, you know, as you know, a lot of it's going to have to do with game script. You know, I think their defense is probably going to be mediocre. I mean, I would think he would probably be middle of the pack to lower end. You know, I don't think it's going to be like the Ravens. I don't think he's going to be among the four or five fewest pass attempts in the NFL. 
Uh, at the same time, I, I don't think he's, you know, I would be surprised if he reached, you know, those numbers. I, I do think it's probably going to be uh, middle of the pack more for Jalen Hurts. And what you said uh, about Devontae Smith, it, it's so funny. I was just looking at this this morning when you look at uh, sort of the median production for like a first round draft pick at wide receiver. And I was just looking at it over, I think the last 10 years, it's around 580 80 yards, you know? And so we always look at this and we look at these wide receivers and we get excited. This guy's going to come in and take the league by storm. And we think of AJ Brown and Terry McLaurin and these guys who have really done it, but that really is the exception um, more than the norm. So I'm bullish on Devonte Smith, you know, j- just like you mentioned, I-, I think he does have a chance to be their leading wide receiver, but I always try to keep myself in check a little bit with those expectations. Well, I'm going to force one of those may opinions out of you right now. <laughs> Obviously the passing offense wasn't great for the Eagles. We had Greg Ward who led the team in targets with 79 Zach Ertz at 72 Travis Fogum at 67. We think Devonte Smith gets far more than 79, right? Could he hit a hundred targets this season? Uh, I think he could. Yeah. You know, and given what I just said, I'm contradicting myself in a matter of minutes. I don't know if that's a record for your, your podcast. Or not, <laughs> that's what we're known for. Shield. Yeah. That's what we're known for. If I have to make a May prediction, you know, I, I think he's got a great shot to lead the team in targets, Love lead it. the team in, in receiving yards. You know, I think he comes in as a pretty polished player. I think he's someone who really had the backing of the entire building, whether it's front app, front office, analytics, coaching staff. And so uh, I think he's going to come in and see a pretty big target share right away. You know, it's strange. There's nobody in the building who has, who has like, uh, I've left a conversation with and thinking, man, they are all in on Jalen Hurst. This is going to be yeah. their guy for years to come. That really hasn't happened, if I'm being honest. You know, I think this offseason has been a lot about optionality, getting draft picks, seeing what happens. I think they're in a position where it's like, all right, Jalen Hurts, prove to us that you're the guy. If you don't prove to us that you're the guy, guess what? We might have three first-round picks next, uh, next offseason where we can take a big swing on a rookie quarterback or a veteran quarterback but obviously yeah we're talking about 2021 now man if Joe Flacco uh, ends up starting a game over Jalen Hurts and it's not for a uh, injury reason this city is going to be in bad 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 (laughs) shape so uh, you never know I mean it's a weird offseason in that we're entering June and like there's Aaron Rodgers drama there's Deshaun Watts so there are like these you know dominoes that have yet to fall but yes I I think what you said is right barring something unforeseen Jalen Hurts is going to be the guy before we get to the running game which is a crucial piece of what this offense is going to be in 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 2021 i do want to ask about one more pass catcher and his name is dallas goddard he's going as a tight end seven right now on underdog just after tg hawkinson mark andrews kyle pitts darren waller george kittle and travis kelsey from a talent standpoint i absolutely love it like i think from a talent perspective he might be among the top five of his position and might show that this year like if they throw as much as we have discussed that's in the range of outcomes here for for Dallas Goddard this year. And I'm sure the the building is still extremely high in him as well. Yeah, he is a tough player to, I feel like, evaluate because you will watch, like if you just watched all his targets, just a cut up of, all right, this, this every time he was throwing the ball, you'd be like, wow, this guy, exactly what you said, uh, could be a top five tight end in the NFL. Now it it depends. Volume is kind of a skill, right? Staying healthy for 16 games, being a hundred percent, being reliable there for your team, being someone who the coaching staff feels like we can go to this guy as a number one guy on a weekly basis. And so that hadn't happened yet in the previous regime. Now, obviously a lot of that was because Zach Ertz was still on the roster and he was splitting time. So I still believe there's a ceiling there. I mean, he's good after the catch. He can, he can chuck defenders to the ground. He can break tackles. He can do all those things. He can make plays downfield. It's kind of that, um, question about whether can he handle just a 16 game workload where he's playing whatever 80% of the snaps and and it's really getting that big volume of targets. So I think he's going to get that opportunity this year. It's a contract year. So he's got a lot at stake here, whether it's with the Eagles or hitting the market uh, after the season. All right. Now to the running back position. Miles Sanders is going as running back 18 right now on underdog. We've seen them draft Kenneth Gainwell. We've seen Boston Scott have a role in the past. They picked up Carrion Johnson off waivers a few weeks ago. Sift through all the smoke, all the fog, all the noise, Shiel, and tell us what are the facts here at the running back position? Who should we care about the most? 
Uh, Sanders is really a case of what kind of style runner you like. You know, I, I think there are people who would probably watch him and say, this guy bounces, runs to the outside too much. He doesn't just go where the play is called. Uh, and so that can lead to some frustration, whether it's from, you know, certain coaches or the offensive lineman or whatever, right? You want, you want the back to go where the play is drawn up to go. Uh, I'm not that, I like the home run hitter. Uh, you know, I like the LaShawn McCoy types, go ahead and bounce it, you know, take a couple tackles for loss. That's okay. Okay, if you're getting me a 35 yard run uh, at some point in the game. And so I think that's always going to be the balance with Miles Sanders is can he sort of figure that out when, when to bounce those runs, when not to bounce those runs. Uh, I'm still pretty bullish on him. He, he's a tough study because you look at some of the advanced stats and some of them say this guy's better than he gets credit for. And others say, no, he's not. He, he's not as good as even um, some of the yards per carry numbers say. Now, the big key with Sanders is in the receiving game. And I think if you're a fantasy owner, that's where you might kind of struggle a little bit because two years ago, the guy was one of the best receiving backs in the NFL. I mean, some of the numbers he put up were, were, like elite, you know, 10 yards per reception. I think he had as a rookie. And then last year, I don't know that there was a worse combination in the league than Carson Wentz to Miles Sanders. I mean, it was just ugly, whether it was drops, balls thrown at his feet, those two not on the same page. So I'm still relatively bullish on, on Miles Sanders. I think he can be a three down guy. I think he can help you in the passing game. However, you draft a guy like Gainwell, and if he's filling that Naheem Hines role and he's going to steal some of those targets, I probably you know would be a little bit hesitant because you don't know how much a, of a target share he's going to steal from Miles Sanders. Yeah, do you just think it's a offensive philosophical standpoint of, hey, we like multiple backs and we can utilize them in different ways? Or is it maybe just an uncertainty of what Miles Sanders is? Like, they, It's not just Gainwell, like you mentioned. It's it's obviously carry on as well. Or was that just more like a, Hey, this guy is so talented that typically at this time on the calendar, these backs aren't out there for free and we can just get them without obviously having to trade anything. Yeah, it's probably both those things, a durability, depth thing. You know, if Sanders goes down, do you really want to be rolling with a Boston Scott Gainwell combination? I mean, yeah. are those guys who are really going to be able to carry the load? So I think carry on Johnson, best case scenario is he is kind of that number two ball carrier in terms of just running running the ball, right? And if Sanders goes down, he would probably have a, a pretty uh, big load if you're looking at like a, a handcuff situation. But obviously he's got a lot to prove, not only in terms of durability, but in in terms of kind of carving out a role for himself um, during training camp. And then third down is going to be uh, really difficult. I, I mean, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a split with uh, with Sanders and Gainwell, if Gainwell can really prove himself or if Gainwell's kind of a guy who you say, all right, he might not be a huge contributor as a rookie, but we liked his talent so much that we can incorporate him uh, down the line. So th this is like a key one to watch probably um, during training camp when we sort of see how those guys are being used, where they're lining up and that kind Thing. We've talked out that one, this isn't going to be, you know, top 10 team in terms of passing volume, but you have great players, we think, in Devontae Smith. You have a great player, we think, in Dallas Goddard. Um, but there's still one pass catcher that's going to be in the field no matter what at wide receiver. So is there one of those three that they're most confident in right now? I think Rager is the one who probably offers the most upside. You know, I remember hearing a story about Nick Sirianni when he was with the Chargers and he was the wide receivers coach and he kind of went up to Keenan Allen and was really coaching him hard. And uh, people were surprised that this young position coach is sort of, you know, going after this veteran like this. But from my understanding is Keenan Allen like loved that and was like, this guy is making me better. And so if there's one position where the head coach should be able to really help the roster, I do think it is at wide receiver. And I really like Jalen. And Raker coming out of college. I think he's a guy who can do a lot of things with, with the ball in his hands. Now, having said that, I was disappointed with him as a rookie. I, I didn't think he had the juice that he showed um, in college. I, I didn't think he was kind of just all out on every play, that competitiveness that I'm going to rip the defense's heart out. Now, listen, this entire organization was a train wreck last year, so I don't want to put too much As stock. you have outlined, very, very in-depth. <laughs> yes. yes. So, <laughs> so I don't want to put too much stock into, hey, the, the, this guy was not good last year and that's what he's going to be going forward so uh i'm waiting and see on rager but i do think he's a guy to sort of keep an eye on and i do think he'll get an opportunity i think fulgham is probably another guy in that category ward is a guy i would really be surprised if ward had a big role uh on this team you know i think he would be a depth bottom of the bottom of the roster type guy you're the man shield thanks so much appreciate all you. right thanks for having me